Bibles to Joshua chapter 7, and uh, reading uh, this account of the sin of Achan and its impact upon Israel. Joshua chapter 7, let us hear the word of the Lord. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth Aven, on the, si- on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up from there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Sherebim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they all have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has. 
because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose up, rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah and he took the family of the Zarites and he brought the family of the Zarites man by man and Zabdi was taken. And then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah and of the tribe of Judah was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire, after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. And so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. And that is God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. And as we hear it, may we both tremble and yet rejoice that the word of God has been given to us. May the Lord bless us with this. Very hard passage to reconcile in our own thoughts about the ways of God, but an important passage that teaches us something about the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that we are called to endeavor uh, together as Christ's church. I think I can speak to parents here. I don't see much in the way of young children, so this shouldn't be too hard. But parents, uh, have you ever had that time when you realized you had to leave your children to experience the consequences, the hard, uh, afflicting consequences of their actions, their decisions, their sins? It is a very difficult thing as a parent to watch your children suffer because they have done wrong. And there are times when that is 
a, a, just a deeping burden on your own heart where you want to reach out and, and deliver them from the consequences that they have embroiled themselves in. It can be very, very hard to watch. Let me ask another question related to that. Have you ever experienced the consequences of another's actions and sin? Sometimes this happens in the household. When the parents cannot discover who has done something wrong, and they say to the whole of their children, well, you all are going to forfeit something. You all are going to experience the same discipline because the integrity of the one who has committed the wrong isn't willing to come forward. And so the whole is disciplined. Or sometimes you experience this even in workplaces where the sins of one person affect the whole and embezzlement happens and the ability for, for people to uh, acquire a retirement is lost. Uh, I know of companies where that has happened. And you sit there and you are experiencing the consequences of another's sin. And we all want someone to pay and someone to recompense us in those circumstances. But I think it's just when you stand back and you look at it and just assess it as an overview of what has gone on, it's a very sobering moment to realize that no matter how hard we try, we are impacted by other people's sins. It's a reality of life. And this chapter is a very sobering chapter that even as we look at what happens to Israel in this one moment, it's also a chapter that leads us to understand the book of Judges, which we're going to turn to afterwards. How the sins of a few or the sins of one tribe impact and affect the whole of Israel. And here we see how one man's actions, one family's secret, one tribe's hidden sin affected the whole body. And this is uh, one of those moments where we are trembling before the Lord to realize this. Some of you maybe do not recall the 1990s and early 2000s because mo many of you as I look out here uh, were either not born at that time or were born just around that time. And so you were youthful and growing up in it. But in the 1990s and early 2000s, the scandal of child abuse in the Roman Catholic Church didn't just impact them. It impacted the whole visible church. In the world's eyes, they could not differentiate between the Roman Catholic setting and the evangelical setting or the Protestant setting. It was something that hit the whole church. And then it, it sort of unfolded more and more scandals within the church. To think and to count how in the last 20 years, the last two decades of church life, the sins of a pastor's infidelity, the sins of, uh, of a youth minister's 
abuses against some of the charges that were under him. These things have hit not just the individual, they have hit the church as a whole. These scandals are real. And the circumstance here in Joshua 7 is not new uh, to the church today. It's it's a sin that reminds us that we live in communion and fellowship with one another. As I was reading and preparing this, there were two scriptures that really stood out in my thoughts that that, uh, remind us that there is nothing about our lives that are hidden or secret from God. One is Numbers 32, 23, which would have been known to Israel at this time. They would know the account of the book of Numbers. And Numbers 32, 23, you, you know this one. If you sin against the Lord, if you sin against the Lord, be sure what? <laughs> Your sins will find you out. If you sin against the Lord, your sins will find you out. And of course, what we heard from the letter to the Galatians in Galatians 6 verse 7, do not be deceived. I think they both carry the same warnings. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall reap. Now the thing with those two verses is we most often take them and apply them individually. (laughs) But God applies them to the whole. (laughs) And And that is something that is to be even more sobering. The sins of one man against the Lord will be found out, but it has the the point of, of affecting the whole. I don't believe It's so much naivety as it is a mark of arrogance and selfishness that exists, especially within a modern society that moves anyone to think that the decisions that they make, the actions that they take, even the wrongs that they commit, that you will hear it. They will say, this is only hurting myself. Is that true? Do the sins of a child only hurt that child? Then what you're saying is that you live completely disconnected from everyone and anyone who might even have some measure of affection for you. That isn't naivety to make that statement. It is arrogant. It is selfish. And especially for Christians. Because it's even worse because when you make such thoughts or, or statements, what you are saying is that God doesn't see. <laughs> of course he does. And the thing that makes this sin so grievous is that it was a sin against the Lord. It was a willful sin against the Lord. And the Lord's anger and the Lord's wrath affected not just the one, but the whole. What a warning to us today. 
You'll hear it again. But it's worth saying it right now. When you become a member of this church, you made a vow to seek the peace and the what? The purity and prosperity of this church as long as you are a member of it. And that is saying very clearly in that vow that do you realize that your own inward purity is a matter that affects the whole of the body. You live in fellowship with God and his people. You are not an island. It's sobering. And what we see here. As we go on, first of all, is how Achan's sin drew God's wrath. There's so much here that just you see such a change in what's going on. But in verses 1 to 9, we see why God's wrath was poured out. Not not yet on Achan himself, but on the whole of Israel. And what a shift occurs from the last verse of of chapter 6 after they have vanquished Jericho and the Lord has done a mighty work in handing that city over to Israel. You read in verse 27 of chapter 6, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. And now they come to another city that is just so much smaller, so much easier. They don't need the 100,000 men that they had to go around Jericho to take the city the, the spies come back and say, hey, at the most we need 3,000. This is going to be a breeze. But you read the opening words. And, you know, that's one of the things when you read Scripture, it's always frightening to read that word, that very first word of chapter 7. But. <laughs> Joshua's fame was spreading. But. <laughs> but. The children of Israel committed a trespass. That phrase, committed a trespass, my friends, it's the same word used twice. They trespassed a trespass against God. There's an extra emphasis going on here in that God was doubly offended by this sin. Because Achan, the son of Carmi, took the things that had been devoted to destruction. The things the Lord devoted to himself to be destroyed as an offering to him. And so you read there at the end of verse 1. And so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. And you think, why? Aren't you, we're going to explore it a little more, a little further on, but... Aren't you thinking right now, Achan sinned, not the children of Israel. How do you equate that? How is it that God's anger would burn against the whole because of one man's sin? Well, let's look at that one man's sin. Achan's sin was a willful transgression. It was, uh, he committed a trespass. Purposefully, This isn't, well, uh, well I, I didn't know what I was doing. Don't we hear that sometimes when, and, and you new parents get ready for it, when you say to your children, why do you, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> well, yes, you do. 
you got to work through it, but you did it because you wanted to. There's no such thing in those times as accidental sins, especially when you've been told not to do something and you do it. And that's the case here. God was very explicit. Back in chapter 6, verse 18, God couldn't be any more explicit when he says, And you, Israel, you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. I don't think God could be any more explicit in saying to Israel, if any one of you take and lay hold of the things that I have devoted to destruction, you will trouble the whole camp and it will become accursed. You know, that's like a parent saying to their children, yes, we're going to go on this trip, but if one of you disobeys, the trip is canceled. We all think, and sometimes we, in larger families, can look at that one who has sinned and really despise them for it if they've ruined it for the whole. But it's a lesson in, in that we are a fellowship. And when Achan took of those accursed things, he acted unfaithfully both against God and against Israel as a whole, breaking God's command. And when you read of this in in these verses, when when God is setting before them the, the gravity of this sin, don't you get the sense that, that this really offended him? If anything, the camp had to learn was this truth that there is no such thing as a small sin, no such thing as an individual sin that only affects me when I am in community with Christ and His people. No sin is small. There are some sins that are more heinous than others. Every sin deserves God's wrath. But my friends, when you start to think about the sins that can be committed... What do you think are smaller sins? If you were to look at the Ten Commandments, let me ask you this. Which do you think of all those commandments is the worst sin? Most of us, and I think if you were to take a tally amongst people, I believe most people would think commandment number six was the worst sin. You shall not murder. And maybe next to it you shall not commit adultery. Dishonoring parents might come in, slide in as third. Remembering the Sabbath, that's usually last on Christians' list. We think there are small sins. And we think there are sins that, that that's okay, I'm, I'm still trying, and trying hard to be good and, and righteous. But when you look at the Ten Commandments, is there such a thing as a small sin? And the answer is no. In fact, the more grievous sins are contained within the first four commandments. The sins against God. The sins against the Lord our God who has delivered us. To put an idol before Him. 
to take his name in vain, to think that we can wear God's name in baptism and go out and live as children of this world. God says, I will not hold you guiltless for taking my name in vain. There's a sobriety there. And sin ignites the wrath of God, especially when it is committed against him willfully. And that's what Achan did. He knew the Lord had devoted these things to destruction. He knew, and in, as we heard last week, that, that word accursed that's used here so many times in this chapter is a word that speaks about God devoting something to destruction as a sacrifice to his glory. And Achan said, I'm going to take what belongs to God for myself. He drew God's wrath. And that wrath showed itself in Israel's defeat and loss of life. Though it may seem insignificant, 36 men out of 3,000, that's, that's just over 1%, you know. Okay, 99% made it back, so what's the big deal? It wasn't just that. When you read, excuse me, the end of verse 5 where it says that, Therefore the hearts of the people, Israel, the hearts of Israel, melted and became like water. Their state became just as Jericho's state was before it crumbled and fell. They lost faith in God because of the judgment God exercised for Achan's sin. And, and, and the thing that Achan's sin uh, did was, was, again, expanded into the whole community of Israel as they began to turn against God. Are you not astounded when you read verses 6 to 9? Are you not astounded at Joshua's pleading before God and now acting like Israel did whenever a hardship and affliction came upon them when they were wandering in the wilderness and they saw this is getting really hard to live as God's people and they began to condemn and become embittered against God Look what Joshua says. Lord, why have you brought us over to this side of the Jordan only to be defeated by this small, small city of the Amorites? Should have left us over there. This just after a glorious victory over Jericho. You see what sin does? You see what sin does to our thoughts of God. Joshua's state shows a man who almost immediately forgets who God is. Part of that is because as it happens when we get comfortable with God and the blessings and the works that he does for us in our lives, we then become more comfortable with the little bitty sins that go on in our lives with that, we become more and more presumptive of God's mercies and graces. It's the way sin works. For Christians, we presume mercy 
Joshua went about the business of conquering the Canaanite nations, presuming God's goodness would always be directed toward Israel. And indeed, had not Jericho revealed God's goodness? But there's a reason why when you back up to chapter 6, verse 18, there's a reason why God warned everyone that don't you get comfortable with any sin. Sin will bring my wrath on you even as it has brought my wrath upon these nations. We think, but, but God's people aren't supposed to experience His wrath. No. Those who are in the Lord, those who have faith in Christ, will not see the wrath of God. But don't presume that everyone who is in the church actually spiritually belongs to the church. The sins of one can and do affect the sins of the whole. And don't ever think, and this is, this is something that we we are so casual with. When we commit willful sins, that just because God doesn't instantly punish a sin doesn't mean He has excused it. And what is problematic here is as Achan's sin drew God's wrath upon Israel. I know we don't like that word, but that's, that's what happened here. God said, I will doom you to destruction. Instead of Joshua stepping back and asking that true and and right question, who sinned? He should have known God spoke to him and through him to Israel. If anyone touches anything that has been doomed to the Lord's destruction, Israel will be troubled. Well, Israel's troubled. His first thought should have been, who sinned? But instead of seeing who sinned, they accuse God. Or as we like to do in our day, when sin comes into the church, we want to blame Satan. I hear that so many times. Oh, Satan's really come into our church and created havoc. No, sin has come into your church more often than not. And you're not dealing with it. God has already taught Israel to deal with major transgressions of his of his law. You note these things in the Pentateuch. That is the first five, chap, uh, first five books of the Bible. What we call the law of God. Which Joshua and Israel had at this time. You look at Leviticus 24. A blasphemer is stoned to death. He took the Lord's name in vain. <laughs> what shall we do with him? I've already told you what to do with someone who takes my name in vain. Stone them. That's the severity of the sin against the Lord. The Sabbath breaker. Numbers 21. We found this man gathering sticks. He he shouldn't have been gathering his wood for his fires on the Sabbath. What shall we do with him? You already know what you should do with him. He has transgressed my law. Stone him. We think when we hear that, God's being harsh, isn't he? To borrow from this morning, no, God is holy. We don't comprehend the depths of his holiness. You know, it's very interesting. Do you ever read in the rest of the scriptures 
a blasphemer or a Sabbath breaker ever being stoned again. Were there blasphemers and Sabbath breakers? Of course. It's like we, God wanting Israel to understand the severity of transgressing his law. You know, the heart plays a very dangerous game with God. Can any of you go through a day in the world around you and not hear God's name blasphemed? Do you ever stop and think, wow, this, this man is doomed, this woman. I, I fear for her eternal soul. Or breaking the Sabbath. I, I know I, I seem to be harping on this a lot. I, I, and it's because I am... I am feeling the conviction of the church that does not understand or regard keeping the Lord's day, what? Holy. Because it is holy to the Lord. We trifle with these things. But the thing is, God hates willful sin. All sin. Willful sin. And the thing we don't realize with this, and it brings us to the second point that we see in verses 10 to 15, and that is Israel, uh, Achan's sin defiled Israel. And you're thinking, how does the sin of one defile the whole? Well, let me take you for a brief moment to 1 John chapter 1. I want you to see this, because we miss this. But you look at 1 John chapter 1, and and those very well-known verses of verse 5 down to verse 10, especially verse 9, where we know that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. But you know what we miss in this? So you back up and you, you look at verse 5 and that declaration, God is light, in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The fellowship that we have with God is a fellowship in the light and holiness and glory of God. And if we go out and walk in darkness as Achan did, we're lying about that fellowship that we have with God. But then look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have, isn't this an interesting phrase? We have fellowship with who? With one another. We like that, don't we? When we walk together in the light, we're fellowshipping to, together as God's people. We have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, it cleanses us. Plural, not singular. It cleanses us from all sin. There's a fellowship that we know and enjoy in the blood of Christ that unites us together as one. Now when you comprehend the joy and the blessing of that glorious grace of Jesus Christ overshadowing us all, we say we are one in the Lord. And when one in the Lord sins, it affects us all. Just as the glory and blessing of cleansing affects us all. 
You don't get one without the other. We like to separate on those notes. If it's, if it's a, a good thing, if it's a blessing, we can enjoy it all together. But if it's sin and a judgment, you know, that, that's, that's over there. It's not here. It doesn't work that way with God. We're one in the Lord. God makes that very clear here. He, he looks and he says, why, at verse 10 uh, and 11, why do you lie thus on your face? It should be evident to you. Israel has sinned. Go find the man. It's almost the same in 1 Corinthians 5 when Paul has to write to the church there that, that has a man who has committed a grievous sin in their midst, a, a sin of adultery, and, and the church has done nothing about it. No mourning of sin, no confessing of sin, no disciplining of sin, just glorying in how merciful we are not to allow this sin to affect our lives. It has affected you. The sin of one that lies dormant in your midst affects the whole. What does he go on to say? A little leaven, a little sin, sins the whole bunch, leavens the whole the reason this is the way it works is because Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us all. We have a unity with Jesus in his sacrifice that deals with our sins. We have a unity with one another even when one sins. Isn't that sobering? Though each person is responsible for their own sins. Ezekiel 18.20 it's true. Achan became responsible. God holds us accountable as a whole. Why? Again, 1 Corinthians 12. Do you not know that you were all together? Though you're members as individuals, you are one body in Christ. That's who we are. And Achan had robbed from God. Achan was aware his actions would make the whole camp of Israel a curse. And that's the reality of our covenant relationship with God. Think of it with the second commandment. The sin of the father who does not love God but who hates God perpetuates itself to what? The third and the fourth generations. Just as but even more, we might add, the love of one perpetuates God's covenant graces and mercies to thousands of generations. God's emphasizing, you know, where sin abounds, grace does much more. That is a truth. But where sin abounds and it isn't brought to the Lord, then his judgment is felt by the whole. Israel shared in the disgrace of Achan's sin. You think about it, my friends. They shared in the wrath of Achan's sin already. How many died because of Achan's sin? 36. 36 households were already impacted by this one man's sin. And God is looking and saying, Israel has sinned because, as 
as we look and we see here, it probably wasn't as hidden. It's intimated. That it probably wasn't as hidden as they can thought. How does a man take 200 shekels of silver, which is about six pounds of coins? Can you imagine six pounds of coins rattling around in your pocket? I get, I get three or four tunies in my pocket, and you walk and you hear clink, clink, clink. Well, he's got six pounds, three kilograms, if you will, of silver coins. A wedge of gold that's 700 grams, a Babylonian garment. But the thing with it, regardless of that, this had been devoted to God. And he stole from God, hid it in his tent. Surely all who lived in that tent would have known. Indeed, they, they probably did. The sin of one defiled the whole. Look to yourselves. Look to yourselves. You know, it, it keeps coming back to the statistics that are out there. But you know, uh, th this is a frightening statistic. That one in four men in the church are engaged in internet porn. Is, isn't that troubling? It's shameful. They haven't even touched on the women. This is just the men. And we think... It's in the evening, it's in the dark, nobody knows, nobody sees me, I'm by myself, this is only affecting me. No, the impurity of your sin is affecting the whole. Because your love for God is in decline, your love for his body is already hurting, and you are, are disassociating yourself from the body. A believer strays from the church. I said this is, this is a hard thing, but you see a believer straying from the church and think, oh, that's too bad. What if I came over and sliced off your hand? When you think of the church as a body, and, and you know, the scripture uses the word, it's a, the eye cannot say to the ear, I have no need of you. The foot cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Cut off your hand. <laughs> pain, and, and the, the difficulty of having to adjust without a hand. That imagery is there to remind us that we are a body, and when one sins, it affects the whole. Don't think you are sinning by yourself. Your strain is defiling the body. And we see, lastly, in verses 16 to 26, how Achan's sin destroyed his family. Achan confesses. <laughs> you, you read verse 20 and 21. Achan comes and he finally confesses. I, I don't know about you, but what gets me about this is as he's seeing it all unfold, okay, the tribe of Judah is chosen. Ooh, hmm. Should I confess? No, no, I'll just wait and see if somebody else gets blamed. He knows what's going on. Maybe the lot won't fall my way and somebody else will receive the punishment and not me. Do you see how, how sinful this sin is at this point? And then the family is chosen. Ooh, that gets a little closer. Well, I hope it's at least my brother that gets picked. Isn't that awful? 
And it's not until it comes right to him and he says, oh, I sinned. Oh, we know those confessions, don't we, parents? Yeah, you're only admitting it now so that your punishment will not be as bad as it's supposed to be. (laughs) Do you look at what he says in verse 21? I saw. I coveted. I took. I hid. Where do we read those exact same words? Yes, Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the garden all over. You took what belonged to the Lord, what was prohibited from you. You despised my authority, my sovereignty, my holiness. Friends, the real battle, the real battle here is that inward one of the heart before God. Achan's sin destroyed his family. I I do believe Achan's family were no doubt accessories after the fact. But it didn't just destroy his family. Like I said, 36 other households had already suffered dearly for his sin. How can God go with this people when there is one that is defying his sovereignty, defying his authority, defying his holiness, and saying, I will be my own man in the midst of this company. And we want God to go with us. God doesn't work that way. Some may decry the harshness of God here as the Achan's whole family and all his belongings are destroyed. But my friends, what we see here is the holiness of God meeting sin and meeting a man who in willful rebellion against God was not so much repentant with godly sorrow as he was as a man found out now and has to admit to what he has done. True confession should have happened before all of this. Well, what it would have been if Achan truly was a child of God coming forward when Israel lost the battle, running to his tent, digging everything up, coming to Joshua, falling down before God, saying, God, have mercy on me. I have sinned against you. I have broken faith with you. Will you please forgive me? Do you think God would have forgiven him? I say yes. That's what he did with David. This wasn't a man who wanted God's forgiveness. This wasn't a man who was broken and contrite over the sin that had impacted the whole. This was a man of worldly sorrow that says, oh, I've been found out. Well, I hope it isn't too bad. True confession. My friends, when you sin, when it strikes you, come to the Lord. We've already been there in John, 1 John chapter 1. You come to the Lord. If we Say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's Achan. (laughs) But if we confess our sins, if we fall down before God and cry out to him, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we look in faith to Jesus. That promise is there. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us all 
to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. His word is not in us. We're speaking and addressing people who have a knowledge of God, not someone who is outside, but inside his kingdom. We are, are so shy and neglectful in our confession and repentance. It's like we're saying, I haven't sinned. God's a liar. His word isn't in me. That's the serious nature. Sobering. But true confession, true repentance, it's not our only recourse in and of itself. It's the mercy of God that is ever ready to meet us. When we repent in that godly sorrow, our Lord and Savior is faithful. He will cleanse you. Believe on the Lord. Don't hide your sin. It affects us all. Turn to the Lord. Let us pray.